At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Jalen, I want to start with this, and I think you'll appreciate it, uh, given your family history. My 16-year-old daughter, she's a junior in high school. And I don't know why, I don't know when it happened, but one day she just decided that UCLA was her dream school. And when I say it's her dream school, it's like she talks about other schools, but it's pretty much UCLA or bust. As a matter of fact, we went to California and we took her on a tour of the campus in Westwood. She absolutely loved it. Then we offered to take her to USC, and she said, "Now nah, I'm all set. I'm good. I don't even need to hey, see it. That's how committed girl. she is to being a Bruin. <laughs> I love to hear that, man. I, I grew up a Bruin, man. My, my dad went there. My aunt went there. Uh, my grandmother taught there at some point. My grandpa was there uh, working in the music department. So I've had family ties to UCLA my whole life. Um, so, you know, even though I went to the Canes, I'm still a Bruin at heart, no doubt. Well, wait a second. Let's that just worked there. Your grandfather was the dean of the school of music. <laughs> your your oh, grandmother yeah, taught French. Right, got it. Got it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, listen, and, and you had an aunt that that taught there as well. Are we missing anybody else? What a what a family lineage. Is it did anybody else go through Westwood? I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> okay. You got more okay. than I do, I just but yeah, man, definitely a lot of family lineage there out in Westwood. So but Jeff, I want to start there with your family, though, because I want to know what it was like for you growing up with a father who was an attorney. Uh, your mom was the assistant superintendent of a school district. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them are musicians, uh, have, have performed in orchestras. I believe your mother's a cellist and your father plays the trumpet. Uh, yep. You have such an impressive family. What was it like growing up in that kind of environment? Yeah, not to mention my sister's at Harvard right now. So, you know, I got to give her a shout out. She's at Harvard Law. <laughs> um, wow. But I mean, it was incredible growing up with that family. I think, you know, having that background, it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, the world's been big for me since I was little, uh, just having so many different experiences. You know, well, you know, uh, uh, symphony is something that, you know, not a lot of people have seen in general. And that's something I was going to, you know, once a month growing up. So, yeah, man, it's a blessing to to kind of have that background, and I think it's definitely helped me uh, and aided me in my life so far. I like how you said that the world has been been big since you were small. Um, mm. I, I like I like that perspective. Um, on your IG bio, it says producer, mixing engineer. Is that mm-hmm. intentional? Did you just never update it, or is that is that a, a statement? Uh, of very intentional. That's very, that's funny enough. I actually took it away and then I put it back this last off season. Because uh, I started getting back into the music. So that's definitely intentional. And yes, indeed, I am a producer and a mixing engineer. 
You got a lot of gifts, man. So uh, I don't know if you're old enough to know this movie or have seen this movie. There's a movie called Brown Sugar, uh, Tay Diggs, Annihilate Them. And uh, the recurring question is, when did you first fall in love with hip hop? So when did you first fall in love with music? Man, I fell in love with music when I was little. Uh, playing the piano for me, getting on the keys. I used to do recitals and stuff like that. That was like, you know, the highlight of, of my week when I was doing that. Um, but I fell in love, hip hop especially. You know, my dad grew up, uh, he's really big into rock, classical rock, alternative rock. And he listens to a little bit of hip hop here and there. Funny enough, he likes NWA. That's like one of his favorite rap groups. <laughs> Is that um, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I really didn't get into rap music until probably... You know, closer to high school or something like that. I grew up, I said, U2, Muse, a lot of rock. Um, the only rap I was really listening to was Eminem. And there was this one uh, P. Diddy song that he got on there with. Uh, it was like a, a rock song. I'm not sure which one it was, but he did a remix and he was on there. So that was like the only rap I had. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, man, I've been loving music my whole entire life. What are your music dreams? I want to open a studio. I'm going to open a studio. I'm probably going to do that within the next couple of years while I'm still in the league. Because, I mean, it's a lucrative, uh, you know, business to have just in terms of renting out the studio, having people come in and record through there, but also just being able to have a space where I can go create in my free time. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of been the goal ever since I started kind of teaching myself how to engineer and really getting back into the music. I just think that seems like the most ideal life for me, you know, post-career, just to be able to spend my time at the studio, like I said, make some money off of it, run it out. Um, but also, you know, just, you know, trying to get into the industry just in terms of producing for people, mixing for people. So um, you know, we'll have to see what it looks like, but I got a lot of big plans. You taught yourself how to engineer? I did. I did. So when I was at UCLA, uh, 2018, beginning of 2018, that's when I got uh, into the car accident. I'm sure we'll get into that more later, but uh, I had a bunch of little time to myself. And so all my homies were rapping. And so I was like, man, maybe I can rap too. Let me see what, let me see what chops I got. <laughs> I started rapping, like just recording myself in the bathroom. And, uh, you know, I learned quickly. I'm not a rapper. You know, I, I don't got bars. <laughs> okay. I, I can admit, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, but what I really fell in love with was the editing and the engineering uh, and taking a, a mm. raw vocal, turning it into, you know, studio quality. So taught myself how to do that. You know, YouTube is a very, very handy resource. So, you know, taught myself a lot with that. But I also wanted to be legitimate with it. So once I left UCLA, I went to LACC, Los Angeles Community College. They have a really huge music program there, the Herb Albert uh, School of Music. And so I was, oh, taking, right? mm -hmm, I was taking music production engineering classes, songwriting classes, music business classes. Um, so that's when I really started to kind of get into the academics with it. Um, so yeah, pretty much self-taught, but I've had help along the way. What's the best thing you've produced so far? Your favorite thing? Favorite thing? I have a, a whole album out with one of my friends. His name's Heaven Shamba. He's an incredibly, uh, incredibly talented artist. So we did a project um, back in 2018, I believe. Um, so that's like seven, eight albums, uh, seven, eight songs long. And, you know, I did the production and did the engineering on that. So that's probably my favorite. And then I have a bunch of unreleased songs with friends and um, with a couple artists that I met while I was in Miami at the University of Miami. So I got a handful, not a ton out there yeah. in public. I got a handful. Well, I, I saw the uh, the video you did and the song you did, uh, Blackout Day. Um, mm -hmm. You produced and edited the video for that. This was in the aftermath of the uh, the George Floyd murder which I really appreciated that. Um, what, is, what is your dream collaboration? You mentioned opening the studio. Who would you love to collab with? Oh man, that's a good question. In terms of like producers, man, I love Metro Boomin. is a really talented mm -hmm. producer. 
you know, it's kind of an unpopular opinion nowadays, but Kanye West has been, you know, my idol music. You can't deny, yeah, you can't deny yeah, the can't deny the musical talent. So um, yeah. he's someone who I would love to work with. Uh, Kid Cudi is someone who, who I'm, you know, really love, who's super talented. So there's a handful of guys out there, maybe one day. Do you have, all right, I'm gonna sound real old and real goofy when I ask this, all right? Just bear with me, okay? Um, do you have one of those, like, I guess catchphrases that's gonna play at the beginning of every song. That seemed like a new thing. Like Metro Boone wants some more. Whatever, whatever these people, everybody got one. You, you know what I'm trying to what, what do you call that? JP on the track. And it's it's oh, a little okay. like, <laughs> yeah. okay. All right. I do see. But the voice is right. altered. So it's not like me. It's more like JP on the track. But it's it's hard, you know. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, you got get ready, so you gotta stay ready. So you already have you already have that ready to go. You knew exactly what I was what I was getting at. Yeah, I was like, what do you call those? Because every I always listen to it because everybody got one and they just get more and more creative. So I love that for you, man. Um I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said it's a producer tag. That's what they call it. Producer tag, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh that's good stuff. So, what are you listen? Who are you listening to now? Um, I'll tell you right now. Let's see what I got in my Apple Music. Right now, I'm listening to Young Nudie. He dropped a new album recently, Gumbo. Uh, we got Lil Uzi in here. I've been a big Lil Uzi fan since 2017. Mm -hmm. Since uh, Destroy Lonely is an up and coming artist that I really like a lot. And then Don Tolliver is probably my favorite right now. I saw him uh, perform live at Rolling Loud about a month ago and he's super talented okay uh i have heard of almost none of those people but i'm gonna take that recommendation because i'm still <laughs> like b b i was still listening to uh osley brothers radio on pandora you know like hey, I, I, I'm, I'm i got my 1970s hits too man i i got it in there okay. that's on my spot so this is just my apple music Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. No, I, I listen, I know you your your parents raised you right. They raised you on the good stuff. You've already uh, established that. Uh but let's go back to the beginning of your football journey now. Um, your day job, if you will. Um, what was it like going from unranked to the number one recruit in the country, a five star prospect, in a, what, a year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. It, it really just came quickly. And I don't even really think I, I really digested it and grasped it at the time. For me, I mean, it was just, it was cool, man. I was going to these camps and doing well. And it was cool because, you know, I never really went to a lot of camps growing up or even at the beginning of my high school career. But starting about my junior year, I started going to the opening and started going to the five-star challenge. And that was really when I started to see myself competing against other top guys. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, wow, like I'm actually really talented at this. Um, so it was a blessing, absolutely. But it, it's it's wild to think about. And that was, what, seven years almost ago at this point? So mm -hmm. it's, it's been a busy journey for sure. Well, and so you, of course, following the family tradition, you go to UCLA, and then you start getting hit with these injuries. Was there a point, and we'll get to the specifics of, of each one, but was there a point where you started to feel like this is not the fairy tale that it was supposed to be, given – you know, it was kind of almost preordained for you to be at UCLA and how much you love that, that university. And next thing you know, you weren't able to stay on the field for one reason or another. Yeah, I mean, that kind of onset really with the first injuries. I mean, the first one was something basic. It was just like an ankle sprain. But even that, that first day uh, or that first game, I should say, when I was at home watching all my teammates are out there, that's like really when it hit me. I was like, man, this is this is kind of brutal. And then moving forward from that, I just couldn't seem to get right. And so 
I mean, pretty quickly, I felt my dream slipping away. You know, I felt after about a season and especially leading into my second season that, man, maybe, like you said, maybe it's not preordained. Maybe this isn't for me. So take me back to the day where you were riding your moped and you got mm -hmm. hit by a car. Yes. What happened? So I was riding my moped and I got hit by a car. <laughs> no, nah, but I was I was riding <laughs> right. I was riding down the street, um, like close to my apartment, and it was like standstill traffic. And I was riding in the bike lane next to the cars, and you know somebody peeked out, I guess, to see how far traffic was going. And I had to slam on my brakes. Ended up flying over the moped, hitting the car, rolling off. And you know I looked down, and <laughs> everything else was good, but my wrist was just mangled. So, you know, obviously mm -hmm. went to the hospital. Ended up getting surgery on it. Then a few months later, sorry, <clears throat> my chef is downstairs. He's cooking some some. Uh, spices or something it's getting into my lungs oh yeah um, yeah but yeah so well, you, you know what he cooking up or, or, or you just know it's spicy you don't know what he making do you know what he making for you he's a jamaican man from the bronx so i know it's gonna be spicy oh <laughs> oh all right listen I, I i gotta pay we gotta do this we gotta do our next interview in person so i give you some okay. of that but anyway uh you were saying your wrist was mangled when you looked down at it yeah, so ended up getting one surgery, and then a couple months later, that surgery didn't work, so I had to get another one. And at that point, um, you know, they had to tell me that I had to get four bones or three bones removed out of my wrist. So uh, it was pretty intense for sure. Hmm. And so, and stop me if I miss anything, uh, then you start to suffer uh, concussion symptoms um, the, that, that same season, correct? Yeah, so I got my first concussion. Oh my gosh, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. That's all right. That's you good, man. So I got my first concussion uh, my freshman year, uh, like mid-season, something like that. And then my sophomore year is when I got that second one. So that's kind of mm -hmm. when they started to go. Because when I got the wrist injury, you know, they really weren't talking too much about medical retirement. I mean, everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets surgery. So it wasn't until that second concussion where they started to tell me, okay, like, you know, it might be in your best interest to, to medically retire at this point. And how did you come about making that decision to retire? Were you 18 years old at the time? 18, yeah. So it was tough. I mean, I had obviously my parents um, helping me out with everything. They were just as scared as I was. You know, I'm 18, not really knowing what's going on. You know, on one hand, I'm worried about my health. On the other hand, I'm worried about my whole life and my career and not knowing what I'm going to do outside of football. So it was a tough decision for sure. But I mean, ultimately, I just listened to the doctors and, and thought I was doing what was best for me. Um, obviously, you know, you had a brain, your brain injuries, but where was your headspace? What was what was your mindset like as you as you this this career that again, not ranked to the number one recruit You're at UCLA? It's one thing after another. Uh, when it rains, it pours. And now you're medically retiring. Uh, before your mm -hmm. career even gets started, what did that do to you mentally? I was really down. I was really down. I was in a really poor headspace. Uh, and it was a lot of things going on just in my personal life outside of it. But I mean, just in terms of an identity crisis and like you said, going from being the number one ranked recruit in the nation to now I'm feeling like I'm nobody because I'm not playing football. I'm not having that success I was. So it was really tough, man. I was dealing with a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, just just always constantly just worried and really just I couldn't even be present. I couldn't even focus on what I was doing because I was always just in this, you know, really weird headspace. And how did you work through that? It was tough, man. And and really, I didn't fully, fully work through it until after I left UCLA, after I left LACC and really 
you know, while I was at, at Miami as well, I still have my struggles when I first got there too. But I think ultimately what changed for me was taking accountability and just understanding that I was the only one in control of my actions and I was the only one in control of my destiny. You know, as athletes and especially student athletes, you know, I think we get coddled a little bit just in terms of we don't really face real world problems. Just, you know, we're just dealing with what we deal with with our sport. And so once I left that and I was dealing with my own problems, it just made me, you know, really just think critically about, you know, my future and what I was doing. And so I think, honestly, it was a blessing uh, and it was hard at the time. But, you know, ultimately, I think it made me a much better man. And I've just at this point just continued to keep working on it and just constantly trying to work on my mentality and, and trying to be the best version of myself. How did you arrive at that level of clarity? Because you didn't hit yourself with a car. You know what I mean? Like, like you could, it could have, you could have easily been mad at the world. How'd you arrive at a mentality of like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in control of this. Yeah. I think it's super easy to play the victim mentality. Um, but ultimately I just, I realized it wasn't getting me anywhere. And I was mad at the world. I was mad at, the UCLA coaches, I was mad at everybody but myself, but ultimately it was myself and my actions that was, you know, making my life the way it was. And like you said, I mean, there's some things that were out of my control, the moped accident, things like that. Um, but I think ultimately it took me focusing on what I can control and just taking my own life into my own hands uh, and just changing my mentality with everything. And like I said, it wasn't uh, just, oh, snap, now I'm better. It was a process mm -hmm. and it... You know, a lot of trial and error. And once I got to the U and, you know, spent some time really just diving in and, and working on my mental and working on getting my body back and everything, that's when I kind of started to feel like myself again. Um, a minute ago, you said you were also, aside from the injuries, you were also dealing with some stuff in your personal life. You've been full, completely transparent so far. You mind if I ask you, do you mind getting specific about what those other struggles were personally that you were dealing with? Um, you know, I think I was just a little enamored with UCLA, the, you know, the big lights, the parties, the college lifestyle, everything like that. Uh, and I just let it distract me from, you know, what ultimately okay. the, the goal was. And so that's really what it is. I mean, it's nothing too crazy. Gotcha. Just, you know, growing up, man, going from a 17 year old, going from the Redlands, a pretty small city to straight into West L.A. and Hollywood and all this stuff. Like, it's pretty easy to get lost in that. Um, so that's pretty much what it was. No, that makes a lot of sense, especially because it, it all happened so quickly for you. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. like, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, like, like how did how did you, how were you managing or attempting to manage, even if you were struggling to do so? How would you how were you managing that that fame and that and that spotlight that you were thrust in? Uh, I mean, I wasn't doing it well. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah. But. I mean, I, I really, I wasn't managing it. I think I was suppressing a lot of it. I think I was just kind of in the moment and just not realizing the effect that it was having on me and the pressure that was building up. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. Ultimately, that's all that, you know, pressure is because expectations, you know, my family loves me. My family loves me regardless. So it doesn't matter how good I am on the field. Coaches and fans and stuff, you know, you know how that is. But for me, I was yeah. putting a lot of pressure on myself and just getting overwhelmed by things that were just completely out of my control. So before we get to the U, um, that was you, you mentioned you went to uh, to was it community college or, or, or JUCO? Community college. They did. They didn't community have any college. Sport. Just uh, community gotcha. College. So, you, so you went to the community college and you studied music. Uh, I didn't realize there was a Herb Alpert uh, School of Music there. So you studied music, and you were kind of living. You talked about this um, the regular college life. What did you learn about yourself in that phase of your journey? 
Uh, I learned how to just take care of myself. I think that was the number one thing. Like I said, as athletes, we're kind of coddled. Like everything is just handed to us, whether it's signing up for classes, meals, just a bunch of like stuff that you really take for granted. So, you know, for me, it was having to work out on my own. And I really wasn't working out much at the time, but, you know, having to do my own diet, having to work a job. And so I worked at my dad's law firm. I did an internship at iHeartRadio. Uh, so just learning how to fend for myself in life, which was something completely foreign and new to me. What was the internship like? What did you do? Uh, I was just writing beat articles <laughs> about like celebrities and whatever like, news was happening. So it was nothing cool like that. I mean, I got to do some cool things. I got to see the production of, you know, 92.3, uh, Real FM, Kiss FM, things like that. Um, so it was a really cool opportunity. And I still talked to some people that I met through that internship. So uh, ultimately, I think it ended up being a good thing. I actually got uh, one of my DJ friends from iHeartRadio is coming down to my camp in June. Uh, he's going to set up the DJ booth and do everything like that. But it was definitely, it was weird, man. It was really weird. And because everybody knew kind of, you know, after getting to know me, seeing my Instagram and stuff, like they saw all the sports, they saw who I was and stuff. So seeing that and then seeing what I was at the time was just, you know, obviously kind of a, a complete 180. And how did you deal with that um, in terms of, you mentioned the identity crisis. So you go from being, uh, you know, top of the world to just, you know, trying to get by, you know, like everybody else. How did you manage that? Uh, through music, man. Music was so cathartic mm -hmm. to me. It was my therapy, uh, you know, for me finding an identity and finding a purpose outside of sports. Uh, it was really helpful that I had something that I was so passionate about to segue me, segue me into that life. So I think, you know, without that, I would have been even more lost. Um, but ultimately, you know, just finding out who I was, finding out what made me tick, finding out, you know, the things that I enjoyed and just learning more about life and just things like that. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Two things strike me, and I don't want to get off course because I, I, I want to continue chronologically and I don't want to skip to the end, but two things strike me. One, because I always tell young people about, like, you know, everybody wants, like, a blueprint. Everybody wants, like, you know, how do I get from point A to point B, C, and D? And they think everything is linear. I'm like, when you're young, you don't necessarily know what your path is. You know, you probably don't want to decide it too early. So embrace a lot of different experiences because you just never know who you're going to meet or what you're going to be exposed to that could put you on the path that you're actually supposed to be on. And that, it would click for me. The reason I say that is you mentioned your friend that's DJing your camp now. So it's, it's kind of coming full circle. You meet a friend at that internship, you remain friends, he's DJing your camp, um, and you went from learning how to cook for yourself 
to now you have a chef that's making you cough because you're cooking stuff that's too spicy. Uh, the <laughs> second thing is, <laughs> life is good. But the second thing is, and, and you know this, because of how uh, finite a football career is, so many players, unfortunately, struggle with what to do post-career. You've mm. already experienced that. You've already you've already gone through that process. So whenever you stop playing for the Dolphins or in the NFL, like been there, done that for you. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be different as an adult and different post career. Because you know, the funny thing is, like, I can't even say, "Oh, I've done that, so it's going to be fine now." Because even you know, after going to the U and you know having that experience and being on top of the world, feeling like you know all this triumph, I still had you know my down days and I still had a lot of you know like personal struggles coming into the league and dealing with expectations and stuff like that. So, you know, mm -hmm. once once you made it, there's always something that's going to bring you back down. It's just like you said, it's not yeah. linear. Like always ups and downs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. So all right, back to. Uh... Our regular schedule programming. Uh, we we left off um, with you uh, kind of navigating life. How did you decide to give football another shot? What was that process like? I mean, it was something that it was in the back of my mind, in the back of my heart, that I just I, I didn't really feel completely right with that decision. Like, you know, I, I thought I was doing what was best for me at the time, but there was just something there that was like, man, like I don't know. But I was traumatized from it. Like my experience at UCLA. I kind of really wanted to push football aside and try to focus on this new era of my life. And I kind of compare it to like, you know, dating. Like if you can't fully invest yourself with your new girlfriend, if you're still thinking about your ex or you're still involved with your mm -hmm. ex. So I really try to compartmentalize that and push football to the side. But, you know, really it was my dad who just always was like, man, I think you can do it again. Like, I think you should give it another shot. And so ultimately I just kind of kept things open. Like I, I closed that door, but I left it open to uh, compete. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I still, uh, mm -hmm. I was I was on a cruise and uh, Jim Mora, my original coach at UCLA, reached out to me uh, and he said that Stanford wanted to talk to me. And so I was like, OK, maybe this is a sign like, you know, and Stanford, funny enough, was like my number two school coming out of high school. So I really felt like it was a sign. So started talking to them, started talking to USC, started talking. Uh, really, I didn't even find out about my, I knew, obviously knew about Miami, but I was looking at yeah. schools that obviously had great football, but had music programs, too. I found out that Miami had the Frost School of Music, which is like top five in the country. And so uh, funny enough, my roommate at UCLA ended up transferring to the University of Miami. He kind of introduced me to the coaches and like a week later I had an offer. Um, so at that point, that's really when I was like, okay, I can I can do both. Like I can go to Miami, I can play football, I can spend some time getting my body back, but I can also still be studious when it comes to the music thing. So uh, that's kind of when I made that decision, but I was really fearful, man. I was... And I still remember when I had that flight to go out to Miami, like I almost didn't want to go. Like I was, I was in like a state of panic. Like I do not want to go. Cause it's just that unknown. Like we're always so scared of the unknown, but I just had to take that leap of faith and just pray that everything worked out and just, you know, trust the process and trust what I was doing and the new mental work that I was doing, that I was going to be okay moving 3000 miles across the country without really any family around. So uh, it was a big decision, but I mean, ultimately that's just something that I had to make. So you come out of medical retirement, still in your teens, um, and I want to say you weighed two fifteen, if I'm if I'm yeah. correct, about two hundred fifteen pounds. Two fifteen soaking wet. <laughs> how how did you rebuild your body and your mind to become the player that you were at Miami, who would ultimately get picked in the first round of the NFL draft? 
I think my body wanted to get that weight back and it wanted, cause I, like I said, I really wasn't training much that whole year before I went to the U. I started training a little bit after I committed, uh, but my body was so ready to get that back. And so once I got to the U, that was like my number one focus. Like I was very singular with my focus. I was very intentional. And I said, the well, really the reason I had to get my body back is everybody was bullying me when I got there. Like everybody's making fun <laughs> of me. Like, who is this? Well, you skinny as hell, what whoop de whoop. And so I was like, all right, I, I can't let them boys try me like that. So that definitely right. played into it. But, uh, you know, like I said, I just dedicated everything. Like that was my one focus when I got there, just get my body back and see how I feel after that. And so uh, two, three, four months later, I'm back at 260, feeling good, starting to get into off-season programming where I'm running again, I'm, I'm feeling athletic again. And that really helped my mental because, you know, when I was 215 and not really doing anything, I kind of felt like a shell of who I was. And so once I got my body back, once I started earning the respect of my teammates and coaches and everything, like that kind of really filled me. And so, you know, my mental still wasn't really like 100% where it needed to be at that point, um, but it was definitely getting there and that helped a lot. And so you get drafted by the Dolphins, so you stay in South Florida. How, how cool was that, by the way? I mean, I, you could not have scripted that. You want to talk about the perfect, perfect song. <laughs> how, how cool was that to stay in South Florida? It was like literally, like you said, like you can't even write a better script than that. It was like a movie. Like I, when that call came in and I remember I made like a, a Instagram post, like I'm coming back to Miami, baby. Like and That's really when it settled in. I was like, whoa, like this is really crazy. And this is an opportunity for me to really do something in this South Florida community. Like people showed me so much love at the U, obviously Dolphins fans showing love once I got drafted. So I really saw it as an opportunity to make it a legacy type thing. Uh, and you definitely hit the ground running in that department. The first rookie to ever earn the Dolphins Nat Moore Community Service Award. Uh, this year, after your second season, you were the team's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award nominee. So I'll ask you this question this way. And you, and you're, uh, you give your time and your, your resources and your efforts to a variety of, of causes. But there's one in particular I want to highlight. So I'll ask the question this way. What does... What has the Broward County Juvenile Detention Center come to mean to you, Jalen? Well, to me, you know, helping the next generation is so important to me because young kids are so impressionable and they're at a point, they're at, they're at a crossroads in their life where, you know, they've been going down this path, but they have enough time still. I think that's the biggest thing. They have enough time to either take this direction and, and you know, really just ruin their life or take this direction and, and try to fix their life. And so for me, you know, being able to go down there to provide some mentorship and really just give them a little bit of hope. Like you should see the way these kids light up when we go down there and talk to them. And it's like, obviously it's because we're football players, but they're really listening to us. And I really just try to put them on game and talk about perspective and talk about choices and the importance of choices. And so for me, I think what we're really trying to do is bridge that gap from when they're leaving the juvenile detention center, you know, and the reality of what it is now is they're pretty much just going back to the communities where they were from after they leave after a couple of months. And most likely, you know, the community is really why they are the way they are. And so, you know, we need to, to do something about that and we need to provide them with resources and with mentorship and just with the direction so that there's so many different things they can do. Trade school, um, you know, trying to get GED, trying to work different professions. There's so many different ways um, to, to start a life and dedicate yourself to something. But they just really a lot of them just don't know that there are options out there. You know, a lot of them see the ball players, they see the rappers, they see this big money. And, you know, it's and they think it's attainable just in some normal way. But, 
in reality, you know, like I said, I just try to tell them that there's so many different avenues that you can have a successful life. Like you don't have to try to be the next, you know, Kodak Black or try to be the next Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill or whatever it is. Like stay in your lane and just find what it is that that really fulfills you and makes you tick. So, so Haley Hunt, um, her organization is Verb Verb Kind, which stands mm-hmm. for uh, Victory Everyday Restoring Belief. When she says to you, "Come to jail with me." What did you think? Uh, at first, it was a little daunting because, I mean, for me, I've always just kind of had like a, a public speaking anxiety type thing. And I was like, man, I'm about to go to this jail and talk to these kids. And because I just wanted, I always want to be impactful. And I always want to. Had you ever to, been to a, sorry to cut you off, but had you ever been to a prison before? Uh, not visiting prison. No, I, I never, never been to a, yeah. a, a prison like that, like seeing the whole layout of anything. I mean, I've seen it in the movies, but like seeing it firsthand yeah. is definitely striking yeah and so you, you you were nervous about public speaking you were saying yeah I mean just just like that was my first impression like when she asked me to come you know I wasn't like oh jail scary like, I wasn't scared of it for me it was more so I wanted to make an impact to these kids and I wanted to come in there and tell them something meaningful and something that they could really carry into their lives and so you know I think that I really did accomplish that and I got to bring some of my teammates out there a handful of times and uh, it's something that I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to do to have a lasting impact with it. Yeah, 18 of your teammates, I uh, believe to be exact, um, you've brought there. Well, uh, what was your message to uh, those youth? Uh, my message to them really is just that their their choices and the things that they've done in their life, you know, leading up to this point, doesn't define them, and that's not the end of their their journey. Like. Like I said, they have this opportunity where they're young still that they can change their life, change the outcome of their life. And so that's really what I tried to tell them. And just, you know, like I said, give them some hope, uh, tell them I'm there for them if they ever need anything. Like, you know, I I can't even remember half the stuff I was saying. I'd probably Mm -hmm. talk to them for a good 30 minutes, something like that. But that was really the main message, just that their mistakes don't define them. And what are your goals and hopes for this work? Where do you want to take this ministry? Like I said, I want to have a lasting impact. And I, and the main goal for me is to actually establish something where there is resources for these kids once they get out of, of, of the juvenile detention center. So I think that's the main thing, just working, whether it's with a mentorship foundation. I know Tyler Perry has a foundation um, that does a lot of mentorship and scholarships and things like that. So being able to work with someone like that or in a company like that that's already established and has the mentors in place um, so that, yeah. you know, whether it's just a, a checkup once a week in their community or helping them get a job interview or helping them prepare for life skills. That's just something that, you know, a lot of those kids don't have. And so that's why I want to come in and try to make that impact. And what does that do for you, Jalen? It just, it's soul food, man. It, it fulfills me. I think life is about, is about servitude. Um, it's about, you know, doing things that are bigger than yourself. Uh, and so I, I feel like I'd be remiss with, all the blessings I've had and the platform that I have to not use that for a greater good. And so ultimately I think that's, that's really what my goal is with this. where that mindset come from, man? Well, it started with my parents. Uh, you know, my parents are both uh, people of faith. I was, I was raised in faith and, you know, since I was young, we've always done community service. My mom's always helped out with food pantries. We used to go down to Mexico and build affordable housing and things like that. So it's just something that I've always been used to. And I wasn't going to change that just because, you know, I got some money and stuff like that. If anything, I wanted to do it more. And then being recognized as your, 
I mentioned the Nat Moore Award, but also the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award as prestigious and not the most prestigious honor that you can have in the NFL uh, as the Dolphins nominee for that. What did that mean to you? I mean, it's incredible to get the recognition, but ultimately it's not really about me. It's it, the beautiful thing about it is that it brings attention to it, right? So that mm-hmm. that impact and that platform that I have, you know, the more attention I have, the, more, the bigger that platform gets, the bigger impact I can have. So I was really honored uh, to be to be named Walter Payton Man of the Year candidate. Super, super honored to, to get that Nat Moore Award. Uh, so that's something that, you know, I really plan on continuing to do and just trying to make the most impact that I can. Dude, you mentioned uh, being a man of faith and, and your parents being people of faith. It's like when you were speaking to these kids in the, in the Broward County uh, Juvenile Detention Center, like how much of your message and your ministry was coming from a place of having maybe not made the same mistakes or having experienced the same things, but having to overcome so much adversity yourself at a young mm-hmm. age? It's like... It's like right there, it feels like your pain had a purpose right there in that yeah. facility. Yeah, 100%. And that that's literally what it was. That's that's where my motivation came from. And that's where that ministry came from is just telling them that, you know, although, you know, I wasn't, you know, in a juvenile detention center and the our experiences might not be the same, I'm still telling them that everybody has experiences and every successful person that you see has had adversity that they've had to get over. And like, just like you said, like it's not linear and just really trying to put them on game with what the reality of the situation is. Cause it's so easy to get discouraged from your path when you don't see that immediate success. But that's why it's so important to be process oriented and not goal oriented and have goals and all that is important. But it's really important to take everything day by day and just understand that things aren't gonna go your way a lot of the time. Sometimes they are, that's really out of your control. All that you can control is what you're doing and how you show up as a man or woman every day. Process oriented and not goal oriented. Uh, I like that. That that speaks to me. Can you say some more about that and and and, and where that uh, where that light bulb went off for you? Yeah, I mean, it's just all about it's all about mindset and staying present. Um, you know, to me, what depression is is worrying about the past. What anxiety is is worrying about the future. So if you're in the present and you're just worried about what you're doing now, it's really hard to let your mind stray from anything else. And you know, if you're goal oriented, majority of the time you're not going to reach that goal that you want. Like, but if you're process oriented, you start to love the process and you start to let that process guide you. So for me, you know, I don't have any anxiety and depression or anything anymore because every single day I wake up and I show up as the best version of myself. And so I can lay my head down at night knowing that I don't really have anything to worry about because what am I going to do sit here? It's not going to accomplish anything. Me sitting here worrying about what could happen. Anything could happen. All I can do is just be me and try to continue to work on myself. And so that's something that, you know, you'll hear it a lot across a lot of different mediums, whether it's, you know, social media, uh, you know, mental gurus or, you know, professional, you know, performance coaches, they'll all tell you the exact same thing that you got to be present. It's all about staying present and being intentional on what you focus on. Yeah, I, I like to say, you know, trust the process. A lot of people, that's a kind of a common phrase. And I'm like, it that feels passive it feels like there's some resignation there that feels like almost like a negative connotation I like like I'm with you like when I talk to young journalists it's like you got to love everything about being a storyteller and if the results come or the recognition comes it comes if it doesn't it doesn't but you're doing it because you're you're so invested and you just love the process you just love getting better one percent better every day speaking of performance gurus I think Ben Newman um your confidence coach 
I think he'd be very happy with, with, with what you just presented. Can you tell me about how that re- relationship came about and what he's meant to you um, as you started your NFL career? Yeah, so, I mean, I got introduced to Ben through uh, Caleb Thornhill, who was our player development, had a player development of the Dolphins at the time. Uh, and really, you know, Ben just helped me with my mindset. Like I said, he helped me like mm-hmm. be intentional with what I was focusing on. And he helped me understand that, you know, we we don't have to let our emotions control what we're doing. You're going to have emotions regardless. You're going to have bad thoughts. You're going to have good thoughts. But, you know, it, it, you, you can kind of say it like with a, a wild horse. And this I'm saying this because I literally was talking about this yesterday because the Dolphins brought in uh, another performance coach who's talking to us. And if you look at your thoughts like a wild horse, like when people train wild horses, they don't beat them. They don't like, you know, do that to get them to be trained. They just let them run around the pen, just run around the pen and eventually they get trained. So that's kind of the same thing with your thoughts, like just kind of, you know, assess the thoughts, understand that they're there, understand that it's normal, but just don't let them thoughts control you. Those thoughts control you. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. kind of something that's instilled in me and something that I still work on to this day. So, man, the the good thing about the great thing about you, Jalen, is like, I could have a couple of conversations with you and, and barely talk about football, but I do want to talk some football with you because you do that and you're pretty good at it. And there's a lot of expectations. There's that word again for what you're going to be able to do um, this coming year under Vic Fangio as your defensive coordinator. Um, what kind of conversations have you had with him? What are your own expectations? I should say for yourself, given how long ago or how, how I guess I should say how short a time ago it was, when you were an unranked recruit to now going into your third year, it feels like there's so much untapped potential, especially under a guy like Vic Fangio. Yeah. You know, I've really just learned to manage my expectations. So I don't really have expectations for myself. Obviously I want to be dominant. I want five sacks every single game. Who doesn't, you know what I mean? But for me, you know, I'm just taking it day by day. What I can tell you is that, you know, my body's in the best shape that it's been in and my process is right. My diet's right. My mental's right. I'm doing all the things that I can to show up as the best version of myself. And so, you know, I really, I really believe that's going to pay off in the long run. I was listening to everything you said, and I probably could have answered my own question, knowing that that's how you would answer that that question. We just had a conversation about like, Hey, it's not about expectation, about being present in the moment. And here I go asking you about next season scheme wise though, schematically, like what, what excites you about playing in Vic Fangio's system? Uh, I mean, honestly, we're still learning about the schematics of everything. We're literally in day three of our program. So for me, it's really exciting. You know, it's a completely different defense, completely new terminology and everything. So uh, for me, I'm just learning a lot every single day, just soaking it all in. Um, But I know that, you know, Coach Fangio's defenses have had great success. uh, And so I'm really just excited to be a part of that. But I know that the standard's high. And so, you know, I'm coming in single day just like I said trying to trying to do the best that I can and really just soak in all this information so that I can apply it to the field at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I mentioned how much I'm enjoying talking to you about so many things beyond football. Um, you're a man of many gifts, talents, and interests. How, how often do you get a chance to talk to Mike McDaniel just one-on-one personally? Because the few times that I've talked to your head coach, I'm, I'm amazed at how not only do I not know what he's going to say, I don't know how he's going to say it. And we might not even be talking about whatever it is that he says. He is the most interesting coach I've ever talked to. Like, what are y'all conversations like, given your interest in your background and his interest in his background? Well, we both like Kid Cudi a lot, so that's that's something that we have in common. <laughs> um, but yeah. man, Mike is just Mike is amazing, bro. He's just himself. That that's the big biggest thing I respect about him is he's just himself, unadulterated. He doesn't care what people thinks. He cares so much. He has a bunch of passion. He's super smart and works his ass off. So I mean, that's every quality that you would ever want in a, in a coach or you know a, a you know friend. <laughs> so you know he's a great guy. Uh, I really like him uh, being my coach, and you know I love you know the attitude that he had throughout last year, whether we were winning or losing. He remained steadfast. Mm-hmm. He's the same every single day, and I think that's so important. A lot was made about what he did for Tua and, you know, the type of um, type of vibe and environment uh, that he that he provided Tua, allowing him to flourish just in terms of that relationship. But again, given the type of person you are, given the interest that you have beyond football, uh, what does having a coach like a Mike McDaniel do for you personally? He instills a lot of confidence in me a ton of confidence in me. I mean, he has the utmost belief in my abilities, you know, not only on the field, but off the field as well. And as a person. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like he just keeps it all football and just tells me you're a great football player. No, he tells me all the time, like the type of man you are, I know you're going to be successful. And so that means the world to me just to have someone who really believes in me. Uh, and he, he walks the walk too. I mean, that's who he is. So, uh, I mean, it's been a great experience so far, man. I really appreciate him. What's your funniest Mike McDaniel story? Because I can't get enough of him at a press conference. Funniest Mike McDaniel story. Man, I couldn't even tell you like one singular one. Just every single day in meetings, every single day walking through the hall. Like he's just like an absolute character. Like you like you said, yeah. you never know what he's going to say. You never know what jokes he's going to crack, stuff like that. So I wish I could give you a, like a prime example or something. But I mean, <laughs> that's what he is, honestly, every day. I want to go back to Tua because uh, interestingly, uh, earlier today, uh, as we recorded this on uh, April 19th, um, he acknowledged considering retirement given the uh, concussions that he suffered last year. And a lot of people, of course, talked about uh, him needing to retire. A lot of people try to give him advice from afar. Um, how did you process and experience your teammate Tua's uh, situation last year given your own history with concussions and me- medical retirement? Yeah, it was tough to see. I've known Tua since 2017. We played against each other in the, uh, or 2016. We played against each other in the Army All-American game. So, I mean, Tua has been my us, my uso, you know, for a long time. And so seeing your brother, you know, down like that and seeing him struggle is definitely tough. 
you know, I, I didn't really think about it from a concussion standpoint or my own experiences, because the bottom line is everybody's experience is different with concussions. Like concussions aren't like a CL injury or something like that. Like there, it, it's a scale and you really never know where it's at. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, what he said today and things like that, like, you know, I think that just shows how much passion he has for the game, for his teammates, for his loved ones. Like, you know, he's he's willing to to risk and to, to come out here and provide for, like I said, the team and the people that he loves. So, I mean, that just shows the type of character guy he is. But, you know, anytime you see injuries, anytime you see things like that, it definitely can be scary. But, you know, he's definitely well informed. You know, he's been working with doctors and everything. And I really don't want to, you know, speak too much on his behalf or anything. But like I sure, said, you could just sure. guy he is and the type of leader he is. Did you offer him any counsel at all? Did you guys have any discussions when he was going through it? Um, man, just to to keep his head up and to be honest with himself. And like I said, to mm-hmm. just think about the big picture. And so, you know, I think he absolutely did. And, and he's you know, where he is today. So speaking of where he is today, two of the quarterback, what was the level and going back to that word confidence? What was the level of confidence um, on the part of the team uh, when it came to Tua going into last season? And how would you compare how people view Tua, the quarterback, then versus now? I always knew Tua was a gamer, man. Like I said, I've I've seen him play for seven years at this point. So I knew he always had that dog in him. I always knew the talent that he had. I think he's starting to garner a lot more respect from outside sources. I think internally, we always have a lot of confidence in him because we know the type of guy he is. We know his potential. Um, but, you know, he's definitely silenced a lot of critics. And ultimately, none of that matters. But, you know, it, it definitely is, is something that, that I've seen. Um, You guys got quite the locker room, man. And and now, I mean, I, I waited the, the whole conversation before bringing this up. Three Jalen's, all with different spellings. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you gotten to know Jalen Ramsey much since he, uh, the Dolphins acquired him this offseason? I've chopped it up with him a few times, uh, you know, seeing him around the facility. Funny enough, the first night that he was here, I, I went and saw him out at dinner with his avian. So, uh, yeah, I've been able to chop it up with him a few times, and I just know that he's super excited for this opportunity, and he's absolutely ready to work. So what do y'all do, man? Because, like, you know, I'm I'm named after my dad, Michael, and then I have a cousin named Michael. So whenever we'd have a family gathering, it'd just be chaos. Like somebody would say Michael and all three of us responded. Like, mm-hmm. how does that work in the locker room or around the building? Like if y'all in the same place, like y'all got nicknames, they call y'all by your last name. Like how do, how do y'all distinguish when somebody say Jalen, who they talking to? You, Ramsey, Waddle? Uh, yeah, you said it perfectly. When someone says Jalen, I'm always looking over my shoulder. And, you know, when it's not me, I'm just like, oh, man. But I'm JP. <laughs> Jalen's dub, uh, you know, I don't know what Jalen Ramsey's nickname is yet, but I'm sure we'll give him one. But maybe he can just mm-hmm. keep the Jalen. You know, he, he's the oldest, so he's stamped, I guess. I'll be JP. I'm fine with that. And, he, and he's got the more, I guess, traditional spelling. What's the name behind uh, behind the spell? What's the story, I beg your pardon, behind the spelling of your Jalen? Yeah, so the namesake is Jalen Rose. My mama loved Jalen Rose. Right. Uh, and she just the name Jalen. Uh, but then, so she is Haitian and her mother is Haitian and really spoke French and Creole. She spoke English, obviously, but she had a really mm-hmm. thick French accent and all of the, her words and everything. She you know pronounced everything in a French accent. So Jalen spelled J-A-L-E-N is like Jalen, but J-A-E-L-A is Jalen. So my mom wanted, she liked the name Jalen, but she needed it to be Jalen for her mom. So that's where that comes from. I love it. I love it. Um, given 
the variety of interests that you have and passions that you have, you strike me as the kind of guy. Well, it's clear, like, football is what you do, not who you are. You're mm-hmm. you know, a shining example of that. But strike me as the kind of guy that, that may not want to play this game forever because you have other goals, not necessarily bigger, but other goals and, and, and purposes and passions and ministries in your life that you want to pursue sooner rather than later. Is that fair? Well, I'm going to do this until the wheels fall off. Like I said, I, I've, I've had the game taken away from me, gone away from the game once before, and coming back yeah. into it, I feel so blessed to have this second opportunity in life. I'm going to make the most out of it for as long as I can. Uh, and and really, it's it's being able to have the platform to make a change. And honestly, I love football. Football's a game at the end of the day. Who doesn't love football? It's yeah. the only reason I ever had problems with football was everything that was going on outside of football that made me think it was football that was the problem. In reality, I was the problem. My environment was the problem, everything like that. And so for me, like, I, I don't, I love football, man. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I'm so grateful for the brotherhood that I have with my teammates and just being able to come every day and, and just really work out and, yeah. and watch football and play football all day. Like I couldn't ask yeah. for anything better. And like you said, it, 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 we've, we've evolved. It, you don't have to be mutually exclusive with it. It's like you can love football and still love music and want to produce mm-hmm. music and, 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 and love, you know, um, being community oriented. And, and, and it's, you don't have to necessarily like put yourself in this in this box um, yeah. when it comes to uh, being 24 uh, seven with football. But you're young, you know, first round pick in South Florida. I mean, you could easily be running these streets, <laughs> if you will. But you said a couple of times that, you know, you had to learn how to manage this, the limelight, manage this life. And, and, and you said a second ago, um, football wasn't the problem. Your environment and you and your choices were more of the problem. Like, how did you grow up so fast, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, the first week I got there, I went and got me a girlfriend. And she has held me down since, my man. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> So I staying, like, staying out the way, honestly, like I said, I had a second opportunity in life and I wasn't about to go waste it in Miami clubs. Like, how dumb would I be, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I, I really don't even like going out and doing things like that. I think it's a waste of money. I don't like drinking like that because I always feel like crap the next day. And I'm so performance oriented with everything I do. Like, you won't even really too much see me drinking a beer or doing anything like that because I'm worried about the carbs. Like, I know it might sound pansy, but <laughs> that's really what it is. Nah, man. So, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was honestly pretty easy for me to stay out the way. It's just a decision. Like if, if you're constantly around that, it's going to be a lot harder to turn things down. But if you stay out the way, then, you know, nothing bad happens when you're in your bed, you know, on a Friday or Saturday at 10 o'clock watching a movie with your shorty. So facts, facts, (laughs) facts. Um, What's the last good movie you saw or, or TV show you binge either one. I just binge snowfall, man. I just caught up six seasons worth in like two weeks. I haven't watched it yet. That's on the list. You gotta tap in, bro. It's fire. It's definitely fire. If you like power, I know it's, it's very similar. I do like power. I didn't. I didn't go off with all the books. I, I, I did I, book two at first. I did Ghost, but the original Power was the one for me. Um, you up on Succession, right? I have not seen Succession. That's H. It was that HBO right. Max. Or That's HBO Max. Yeah. All right. I'll trade you Succession for Snowfall. All right. I'll hold you to it. Yeah, next next time we talk, you we, you talk succession, I'll talk snowfall. Um, just to bring this whole thing full circle, man, and wrap this up. This has been fantastic. Have you ever thought about where you would be and what you would be doing had 
things not happen the way that they did at UCLA with the car accident, with the concussions, with the medical retirement, and you've gone down the path that you have. You ever thought about what your life would look like, or or even if you decide if you didn't decide to come back? Who knows? Literally, who knows? You never know if something is good or bad either. Like it's easy to say, oh, imagine if you never got hurt and you like were the number one draft pick and this and that. You don't even know if that would be a good thing. Maybe without going through all that adversity at UCLA, I come into the league and I hit adversity and I don't handle it very well. So I think everything, everything happened for a reason, man. I really do believe that, you know, uh, this is God's journey for me. Uh, and and my, my part is staying on that journey and not straying from, like I said, the process and not straying from living the wholesome life that I do. Um, so I don't, I really don't contemplate on stuff like that. Cause it doesn't matter to me, honestly, it's fun to yeah. think about sometimes, obviously like, Oh, yeah. what if, but, um, you know, honestly, that doesn't matter to me. And like I said, like, you never know, but all I do know is that everything that happened was absolutely a blessing in disguise. And I wouldn't be the yeah. man that I am all that. Yeah, man. I, I, I love your story. Uh, I love the way you tell your story because it's an example of like, and, and it, it helps go for the next time you meet adversity because you know, wait, that happened for a purpose. This is also for a purpose that my path could not have gone any other way. So whatever obstacle I'm meeting right now is a stepping stone rather than an obstacle. And so, man, I'm uh, just really impressed with um, the person that you are, the player that should be on your way to becoming. And Hey man, thanks for joining me. Uh, let's do this again. Like I, I love to talk to you like on the regular, you know, <laughs> so let's, hey, let's check I'll, it again. Whenever we can definitely tap in, but Absolutely, bro. I appreciate you having me on. It was fun talking to you today, man. A lot of fun. Appreciate you, Jalen. Take care, man. Take care. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.